Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Given that Winnipeg is still on a temporary hiatus for at least a couple of days uh, until, I believe, January 31st, which is this coming Friday of next week, we're kind of in a lull in terms of Winnipeg news. So I thought I would consider about Winnipeg's roster. The trade deadline is kind of looming for the Jets, and there's been a lot of buzz as to whether or not the Jets should make a move. I thought it'd be important to first talk about where exactly Winnipeg's roster is at this point and what they have in store, because before you can go shopping, you kind of have to take a look at what's in your inventory first and see if you actually need to be a buyer or if you should actually consider selling. I've talked about the trade deadline in previous episodes, but I've never talked about what exactly Winnipeg's current roster looks like, because what the Jets have now is something that's a little bit unusual compared to what they've had in past seasons. To do this, I'm going to bracket the Winnipeg forwards and defensemen to a couple of different categories. I think for the forwards, I'd like to have guys who are purely poachers, guys who are versatile two-way scorers, players who are actually play drivers even if they don't exactly have points totals, and then your your last line is going to be all of your depth players, which there are quite a few for the Jets right now, and this will be kind of taking a look at the state of where these players are currently in their development trajectory, or in some cases, I guess where they are in their career, and not necessarily what their potential is. On the defensive side of things, I think we'll have guys who are versatile two-way defensemen, guys who are mostly points-getters in the in the sense that they are offensive defensemen with limited defensive value, guys who are more on the defensive side of things, which, spoiler alert, the Jets really don't have that right now, but we'll keep that category open for further analysis down the road because the Jets may have some reinforcements who fit that more defensive mold in the future. On the subject of poachers, I think Winnipeg has a couple right now, I think the most obvious example is Kyle Connor. Connor, for me, is a very divisive forward just because I, I tend to be pretty harsh on his defensive game. Connor is an odd player because he has a lot of individual talent and some tremendous stick handling skills. He's got an excellent shot. He has some of the best skating of any of uh, Winnipeg skaters in general. He has remarkable acceleration. Um, in terms of one on one battles, I don't know that there's anyone better than Kyle Connor in both deception, speed, the ability to shift his weight quickly and, and change his direction of attack, and just the overall danger and threat that he poses, few forwards on the Jets can match. Unfortunately, the reason that I classify him as something of a poacher is because, in a lot of scenarios, Connor is not necessarily able to get the most out of his line mates. I tend to think that he's always the one looking for the pass, which I, I do think is appropriate in many scenarios, but when he's on the puck and he has to do setup and build-up play inside the offensive zone, Connor isn't always looking for the most opportune time to pass. It's not that he never passes, that's not really the case, it's just that there are plenty of opportunities for him, especially when he's in an odd man situation, and he either holds onto the puck a little bit too long because he's hesitating and not really committing to a decision, or if he takes a shot, it's not really a great shot from where he's standing. What he does do very well is find himself in soft spots, especially in front of the net, or uh, between defensive pairings and lines, That's where he is most dangerous. His ability to match up against any single skater on the opposing team and beat them with a bit of deception and quick speed really makes him a unique threat, but a lot of times he's not creating that space on his own. 
he has to rely on other linemates who create that space for him, and then he can isolate the skater of choice who ends up becoming his victim. In isolation, this isn't really a bad thing, but the problem is, is that the Jets just don't have many guys who are play drivers to support guys like Connor. You know, we have a lot of poachers. I think Shifley, in some ways, has, especially this season, become more of that sort of player. And the more versatile two-way play drivers that we used to have, we're running a bit thin on. So I called Shifley a poacher for a couple of reasons. I think that Shifley's build-up play is still strong, but he definitely has a lot more defensive lapses and puck management issues than he used to. I'm also seeing habits from him that are kind of unusual for like a top-line center, especially somebody who was once compared to Sean Couturier's uh, kind of alter ego. Shifley has never been a defensive forward in the same vein of, of Couturier. The way Couturier dominates play in both ends of the ice and the neutral zone is almost wholly unique. Sean's closest comparable is probably Patrice Bergeron during his prime, and even then Couturier does some things differently than Patrice ever did. In some ways, Shifley kind of takes more of the book from the Austin Matthews playbook of, of essentially creating a ton of net front offense and low slot danger chances, uh, or at least he did in the pre previous seasons. Nowadays, Shifley tends to find himself more in open shooting lanes, and is kind of the one who's finishing opportunities. He's definitely someone who is still capable of setting up his line mates for great opportunities, and he is often the one uh, doing zone transitions and creating space, but he's just not as good at it uh, overall as he used to be. His net impact has kind of gone down. He's still one of Winnipeg's most important players and one of their true top offensive skaters. But, you know, you compare him against somebody like, say, Nikolai Ehlers, and it's kind of clear that as good as, 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 good as Shifley still is, there's definitely something that's still lacking in his game. I kind of have him in the versatile two-way scorer category for now, but he has trended towards poacher, especially with the fact that his defensive game has had so many lapses. As I said earlier, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have guys who are, are more on the point-scoring side of things than they are driving and, and creating play uh, and creating off offensive opportunities for their line mates. But Shifley, I think, was expected to elevate his teammates all the time. When you look at the way that he, Connor, and Liney all play together, it's kind of weird because none of them have all of that great chemistry that you would expect. Connor is kind of off doing his own thing. Oftentimes he's, I don't know, his positioning to me is always a little bit weird. And whenever he's in open space and he's calling for the puck, you know, he gets the puck and then he doesn't really create and, and pass it back in the way that he should, which, you know, often leads to a lot of wasted offensive zone possessions. Shifley can be kind of the same way, although to a much lesser degree. The guy who suffers the most, though, ends up being Liney, because Liney is the one who has to be the one to essentially set up his two poaching teammates. Shifley and, er, and Connor are both oftentimes beneficiaries of Liney's incredible passing and vision. If you told me that that was going to be the situation a couple of seasons ago, I'd have honestly laughed. I, I never would have believed that Liney is the best setup man on his line. That's really a, a strange turn of events. And what's even stranger is that Liney is also the one with the most positive defensive impact. Liney has had to grow his game a lot because he's been asked to be more of a power forward type, which he definitely has that potential, but obviously most people know him for his shooting and his goal scoring acumen, which nowadays he's doing less of and he's more or less an assist machine. I think on an individual basis, it's good that Liney's game has grown to be something a little more versatile, but even still, it's a little bit weird to see him becoming less of a poacher and more of the playmaker when he has two guys who, in theory, should have been big, bigger playmakers on his line. As far as versatile two-way scorers are concerned, I think that line is certainly, as I've mentioned and alluded to in previous segments, uh, he kind of fits that category now. Line's game has grown in many facets that I really didn't anticipate. 
last season was kind of a horror show for him, and I think a lot of people assumed that he was sort of busting out and being um, a much weaker player than everyone predicted because of his season uh, alongside Brian Little. The thing, though, is that I kind of saw a lot of techniques that he was trying to apply, however unsuccessfully. The thing with Line A is that he didn't really have a whole lot of support last year. When you have NHL coaches assembling line constructions, you have to be careful that you make sure that their skill sets and their physical traits align naturally. And Line A was being used and deployed in a way that really didn't suit his skill set and where he was developmentally last season. Regardless of who was on his line, it was always him being the one to facilitate neutral zone transition and offensive zone entries, which, given that he is a bit cumbersome on his skates, and his stick handling under pressure can occasionally lead to the puck being um, handled like a bit of a hand grenade, it wasn't the most ideal situation, and you had Little and, and Roslovic essentially sitting a little bit more passively to his flanks. The thing is, is it, does, it did force him to, to improve on all of these aspects, but I felt like the situation that he was being put in and the environment he was being, being put in really wasn't conducive to his skill sets, and it forced him to become a better player, but at a significant cost. Now, I will say that that development has been extremely beneficial for this season because Winnipeg doesn't have enough players that are like Line A. We have tons of guys who can score goals, but as far as players who are driving play and, and creating offense while actually racking up the points totals, we just don't have that many of those two-way high-scoring forwards available. The only other guy who's really in that class right now is going to be Nikolai Ehlers. Ehlers is arguably Winnipeg's most important forward. He and Line kind of form the backbone of this entire team's offense, and I feel like without those two, the Jets would be in serious trouble. While Shifley, Connor, and, and Ehlers may be racking up a lot of points, a lot of that is attributed to the fact that Line and Ehlers are capable of creating so much offense and build-up play through their presence, their zone transition, expertise, and their vision and passing. Both uh, both of our Scandinavian skaters just have this natural gift of finding guys in open space, creating their own space, and really utilizing some deadly releases and shots, especially in open space. It also doesn't hurt that Ehlers has an element of added speed and stick handling that Line A doesn't necessarily possess. Ehlers is one of the fastest skaters on the Jets, and his ability to break away from defenders create gaps in defensive coverage because he can pull defenders and lure them out and then speed around them adds a whole new element to his game that a lot of Winnipeg forwards don't have. Ehlers is a truly game-breaking talent and when you look at his contract and just how much sheer offensive value and transition value that he offers for this team, I think it would be fair to say that this, this squad would be lost without him. In past seasons, you know, Blake Wheeler and Matthew Perot were both in this two-way scoring forward category, but they have since tailed off significantly. I think the most notable guy who's fallen off has been Blake Wheeler. Uh, last season was kind of disastrous for him. And even in the previous year where he racked up like 90 points or something like that, uh, you know, it was one of the worst 90-point seasons that we've seen from an NHL forward. Defensively, Wheeler just looked lost in, in this weird man's own scheme that the Jets employ, which, you know, a lot of guys would have trouble with that. But I think what was even more disconcerting was that Wheeler just didn't look like himself. I don't want to alarm anyone, but his extension is kicking in as Wheeler's overall impact on the game is significantly declining. He's a lot slower and less mobile than he used to be, and the things that he was known for in his prime, which was sort of a, a really aggressive neutral zone transition game, and a forceful, really strong on the puck offensive zone entry that could lead to a net front drive where he could basically grease through and squeeze through defensive gaps just through sheer force and pace, he's not able to do that stuff anymore. He's still got a very good release, he's still got pretty good passing and vision, 
but the overall speed of decision making and his defensive game have both declined significantly. It's kind of hard to say what exactly Blake is going to look like in a season or two. He's already declined to the point where you have to question how much top six value he really does bring. It's not that he can't be a second line winger or center. I think he still has that potential. It's just, I don't know if that's going to be, you know, a long-term situation if he keeps slowing down. Wheeler's contract extension has only just kicked in recently, and while he does tend to rack up a lot of points by virtue of being on the power play and stuff, that's not the kind of points totaling and offense that you want from him. You signed him to be this big, beefy, power forward, you know, and the guy who was one of the most gifted offensive creators over the past several years. Blake is kind of getting away from that, and I think that for the Jets, this is going to be something of a problem because they don't really have anyone who can replace him. When they drafted Christian Veselainen, I think that that was the natural thought. Veselainen would be his replacement, but we don't really see the same 5v5 impact from Veselainen at uh, any of the previous levels that he's played that Wheeler's had, so I think expecting that from Christian would be a lot. Perot is kind of in the same boat. I think Perot is probably getting older. At one point, Matthew was one of the, the secret weapons of the Jets' arsenal in that he could play on the bottom six while he was still having essentially top-line forward impact. But over the past couple of years, I think Perot is starting to slow down. He's had a lot of injuries, and I think that that's probably impacting his performance. He's also had some issues with taking a lot of penalty minutes, and that's something that that's not going to be great for the Jets because, unfortunately, our PK is pretty terrible. It's not that Perot is a bad player now, but he's certainly far from what he used to be, at least going by the last season or two. I kind of hope that his decline is only a bit of an aberration this season, but if he really is slowing down, then Perot is his contract is going to have to be moved at some point. And really, he deserves to go to a contender where maybe his skill sets are going to be better utilized than they are with the Jets. He's been a loyal servant of this team for several seasons now, and he's been one of our most important depth forwards, even though he's not really a depth forward. But if the time has come to, to you know part ways and let him move on to a new team, then the Jets need to make that decision sooner rather than later. Perot is still very good at what he does, even if other teams haven't necessarily picked up on that. And, you know, I think in the right situation, Matthew will still be very good for some competitor or even a Stanley Cup contender. Before we get to our last uh, categories for both the forward group and the defensemen, I want to share some potential sponsorship news that's available to anyone listening to this podcast. If you've been a recent listener, I'm sure you've heard about all of the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans around the world. What you may not know is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Jets fans who are just like you. Unlike other podcasts, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local Winnipeg podcast listeners. Our listener base is dedicated and as loyal to the Winnipeg Jets as you are. If your company is looking to expand and reach out to local Winnipeg Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Local fans always love to support local businesses, and it's a win-win situation for everyone involved. Be sure to text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising and give us a shout. Our team will work with you step by step to achieve the greatest locked on advertising success possible. Once again, be sure to text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Closing us out tonight, we're going to take a look at some of the NHL forwards for the Jets who are on the depth side of things, and I'll, I'll spotlight a couple of guys who are perhaps not ones that you would imagine. I think the first one that we're going to talk about is probably Janssen Harkins. Harkins is an interesting option because I think his potential is probably middle six. 
He's shown some really deft hands, he's got a high work ethic, and generally speaking, I think that as a bottom sixer, he's been pretty competent. While his on-ice results haven't quite been there yet, it's still a very small sample size, and he's not got the best line mates to work with right now. While I wouldn't put him on the level of like an Adam Lowry or Andrew Kopp just yet, I think that those guys have a ton of impact, especially in the play driving category. Uh, I think, you know, Harkins has that potential down the road. He might even reach it sooner than I imagine. Also in this category, we probably have Nick Shore and Mason Appleton. Shore is uh, a bit of a meat and potato center, but somebody who's, I think, a lot smarter than people realize. He seems to have a very high playmaking IQ, and he's got great defensive positioning. While Shore may not be blessed with like an abundance of really high-end skill or, or physical traits, what he does bring is a really solid all-around two-way game that any fourth line would be blessed to have. He's a perfect PKer, great even-strength player, and exactly the kind of guy the Jets have needed. Appleton is a bit more of a cipher for me because I can't really get a read on what exactly he is. Right now I kind of have him as like a competent fourth-line winger. He does have some middle six upside, but thus far he hasn't really been able to pull all of his skill sets and physical talents all into one cohesive package yet. He has a, a good amount of speed, he's got a pretty decent release, um, his vision is pretty solid, but as far as being uh, an impact NHL forward, I don't know that he's going to be that significantly impactful. Maybe in a third line role he'd be decent. He and Roslovic are, are to me kind of in similar categories of, of guys with some talent, but a bit disappointing thus far. Roslovic has done a, a good deal more, and I think Roslovic probably has um, a higher ceiling and a, a higher likelihood of reaching that ceiling. But, you know, both of those guys, I'm a little bit lukewarm on. Uh, I want to see more from Roslovic especially because I have very high expectations for him, and thus far he's just kind of been, eh, alright. Uh, you know, he's not really been an NHL center that I can tell. Uh, and as a winger, he's crafty and good. He might be like Perot's eventual successor, uh, although I don't know if, if Rossovic is going to become that for the Jets or for another team. As far as like Winnipeg's less flashy play drivers are concerned, guys who may not have the the highest points totals but are still very effective and important for the Jets, I think the two obvious candidates are Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry. Andrew Kopp actually scores at a pretty high rate relative to his ice time, and I think that he has pretty decent second-line potential. He's definitely started getting put into more second-line roles over the past couple of seasons. Whether or not that's out of necessity or, or Maurice actually recognizes that he has legitimate upside is kind of a question mark. He's got great forechecking ability, pretty good vision, a nice shot, very good positional awareness, and he seems to find himself in, in greasy situations, but he also has a high work rate. He's a really well-rounded package that would probably make for the ideal second-line center or, or wing if that's what he eventually is given the opportunity to become. Adam Lowry is more of a bulldozing bottom six center. At one point, I thought Lowry might have higher upside as like a, a top six guy, but for the most part, I think Lowry's limited finesse and, and kind of bulldozing style make more sense in a third line checking and shutdown role. What he does do is create space for a lot of scoring forwards to do their thing. So Lowry's value is actually just creating that opportunity for, for poachers to come in and swoop in and score. He has an extremely aggressive physical presence. In the corners, he wins tons of battles, and he can create that space that your goal-scoring forwards are going to need to really tear open teams. And Lowry's just something of a bulldozer. He'll run you over if you have the puck, and he can force turnovers. Uh, he's got pretty good defensive acumen, and he's great as either a PKer or an even-strength shut down center. While I do wish that his hands, you know, and stick handling were a little bit higher skilled, I think that what he does offer is very good. And he's been a little bit snakebitten and unlucky this season. On the defensive side of things right now, the Jets are uh, kind of without 
a really good two-way defenseman. They had one in Vili Heinola, but Heinola has gone overseas, and apparently people are kind of been a, a little bit middling on his performance in Liga. That said, we've all seen what he can do at the NHL level. I'm not really worried about him. What I am kind of concerned about is the fact that Morrissey has seemingly regressed as much as he has, and, and a lot of people have said that for him to jump from, say, a second-pairing role to a top-pairing role was maybe a massive jump that he wasn't prepared for. What is kind of weird, though, is that he just looks slow to me. Like, his, his timing on his reads is slow, he physically has trouble skating and catching up to opposing forwards. These are things that he hasn't really struggled with before. Were he to have a better season than he is now, he'd definitely be up there as one of our top defensemen, and even now he still kind of is, by virtue of there being very few options to choose from, but Morrissey's struggles are kind of a bit of a concern for me, and it's going to be something to watch going forward. I'm hoping this season is just a bit of a blip, and that whatever he's dealing with, he can kind of recover and get to full strength for next year. After Morrissey, it's basically down to Neil Pionk, and Pionk is mostly an offensive defenseman with not a whole lot of defensive acumen. He's trying to work on it, and I mean, he's definitely worked on things like board battles, um, positional awareness to cut down passing lanes and shooting lanes, but even then, you can still tell that, as far as like defensive IQ is concerned, Pionk's just not accustomed to being a shutdown guy. What he does bring is a great shot, great offensive zone acumen. He's a very smart attacker, although his passing and stuff, especially on the power play, leaves something to be desired. He's still a very useful top four defenseman, and I think that if the Jets were to try and flip him at the deadline, they'd get a pretty nice haul for him. That said, I kind of don't want to see him go yet. I think that the Jets sort of need actual NHL caliber defensemen, and Pionk is 100% that. He definitely has a lot of scoring ability, especially on a, a power play where he can kind of inflate his totals and, and get a lot of points from having so many talented scores to pass to, but his shooting and his ability to kind of find gaps in between and, and risk point shots that are actually pretty deadly has seemingly paid off dividends for him. Beyond all expectations, he's legitimately been good, and I think that that is something to at least be excited about going forward, especially if the Jets decide to keep him around. Alright guys, on our next episode we're going to be taking a look at some of the trade deadline options, uh, and hopefully this has given you a broad overview of where we are organizationally speaking before we start getting into prospects. Thanks for listening, and as always, go Jets go, have a great night.